Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Do you know what happens to your IRA when you turn 72? What about your 401k? How do you figure out the required minimum distribution on your retirement account? What are the taxes? And is there any way you can reduce those taxes? Answers to those questions and more on this edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Welcome to another edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I'm Barry Watts, your host, along with my co-host, Eric Burleson. And today we're going to talk about a topic that is fairly simple, but it confuses a lot of people. RMDs. Eric, do you know what RMD stands for? Well, that's one of those big government bureaucratic words for required minimum distribution. That's exactly correct. And today we're going to talk about how to reduce, or in some cases, totally eliminate the taxes paid on required minimum distributions. Now, let me just pause and insert something here that I think is kind of important. I had a phone call yesterday with a podcast listener from Dallas, Texas, and uh, he was effusive in his praise. He's like, hey, I really love your podcast. I find it very interesting. I've been listening for months. I've listened to dozens of your podcasts. I've shared them with all my friends. And he said, my friends don't believe. And I'm like, well, what do you mean your friends don't believe? I, I don't quite understand it. Now, and then I made a joke, which I always do make. I, I personally am a follower of a Middle Eastern philosopher, a guy that you might have heard of by the name of Jesus. And, and uh, you know, Jesus is pretty popular. And yet, if you look back at his life, he was uh, the most uh, 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 captivating figure in history, perhaps. And yet a lot of people didn't believe him. So it, particularly it, his own community, his own village. Yeah, his own people didn't believe him. That's right. right. And so I always figure, well, if they didn't believe Jesus, why should I be uh, offended that they don't believe me? But I asked this guy and I told him that story and he laughed. Uh, I, I asked him, I said, what do you mean they don't believe? And he said, well, they say, you know, if it's if it's really that simple to save on taxes, everybody would already be doing it. So that must not be true. Well, I want you to know today, Eric, and I want you to know today, producer Patrice, and I want you to know, my listener, that it really is easy. I was thinking about that, and I started to use a Michael Jordan illustration and realized that Michael Jordan is a little too old for anybody to care about, so I went to a LeBron James illustration. Um, you know, See, it's, nowadays, I don't even pay attention to that. Well, I'm kind of lost. <laughs> I actually went to Kobe O'Brien first, Kobe Bryant first, and, and then I realized, oh, no, he, he died. And so I had to get to LeBron James, and I'm not really sure what the deal is on him. But here's my point. It's kind of like watching LeBron James, who I guess is something special in basketball, and saying, well, it just can't be that easy. Well, it's that easy if you're LeBron James. That's if, a good point. If you're an expert. But it takes work to get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 27 years of work so far for me. LeBron James hadn't been doing that that long in his particular line of work. But here's my point. My point is, so when you know the tax laws, when you know the rules, when you know how to apply them, 
it's really not that hard. And so what we're going to talk about today is these required minimum distributions that you have to make. We're going to talk about how to minimize the distributions in some cases, and certainly how to minimize, reduce, and maybe even eliminate the taxes that are paid on your required minimum distributions. Now, the law says that if you have what is called a tax-qualified account, and that means an IRA or a 401k or a 403b kind of an account where you're putting money into it each month and maybe your employer matches it and you get a deduction for your contribution, that once you reach a certain age, you must begin making these required minimum distributions on that account. And Eric, what age is that? Well, it's a strange age. It's age 70 and a half. It used to be 70 and a half, but then it was recently changed to 72 with the SECURE Act that was passed in 2019. So Eric, it's time for that segment of the podcast called Pick on the Politician. Is it okay with you if we do that, Senator Burleson? Yes, sure, because I'm not a politician. I'm a I'm a citizen statesman. Now, there you go. And you kind of are a citizen statesman. I'll, I'll accept that, a public servant. And it really is a public service. And we really do thank you for that because it really is a thankless job. But by the time you guys get done, stumble over a few words and it gets run through the media, oh my goodness, the stuff that comes to our ears just is such a freaking mess. So in this edition of Pick on the Politician, here's, here's the thing I want to point out. For many years, let's say four decades, I don't really know uh, off the top of my head when this started, but when they introduced the concept of qualified accounts, when the Congress introduced that concept, um, one of the things that they introduced is that you can't take the money out of your account until you are 59 and a half. And when you reach age 70 and a half, whether you need it or not, you have to start taking the money out of your account at 70 and a half. Now, my question is, where the heck did the half come from? How, how, how can you, how, what kind of brain says, well, let's make them start taking the money out when they're 70 and a half. Yeah, I don't know. I bet you it was some debate that was occurring or someone in a committee hearing that said something like, well, if we, to meet our budget, they need, we need to budget this much. Or it could have been just somebody saying, well, if somebody wants to prepare for the retirement and they want to retire on the day that they turn 60, allow them. I don't know that, but that's, there's goofy things that happen in <laughs> the Capitol halls. And when people are, when politicians are meeting and discussing things, this like kind of sounds like an episode of how the sausage is made. Yes, it is. It is an ugly process. So what you're telling me is maybe it was just an argument between two people who one of them wanted to do it at 70 and one of them wanted to do it at 71 and they compromised and all of us have to live that's with 70 and a half happened, because yeah. two people argued it out that way. Well, I think it's stupid. OK, can I go formally on the record to say that? Yes. But fortunately, it has been changed because with the SECURE Act, they changed it from 70 and a half to age 72. So now if you have an IRA or 401k, the rule is at age 72, you must start making distributions from that account. And when you make the distribution, you have to start paying taxes on that account. Now, let me talk to you about how your required minimum distribution is calculated, because this is a big thing to people. They're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to turn, it used to be 70 and a half now, 72. Uh, and I, I don't know how, how am I going to figure out how much money I've got to take out? Well, it's really simple, really simple, really simple. You take the value of your IRA account on December 31st of the previous year, and you divide it by your life expectancy, and that is the amount that you must take out. Now, the government has what is called a uniform life expectancy table. It's a unisex table. 
Uh, even though we know men tend to die earlier than women, this one table applies to both sexes. So I guess, Eric, that means that government is woke because long before Obama said we could use whichever restroom we wanted to, the government was already applying one life expectancy table to everybody, whether male or female. Right. Which no insurance company would never do that. No, insurance real math. That, that's exactly right. They, they tend to say, no, we understand that women are going to live longer and we're going to adjust our premiums uh, to accord for that. So so at age 72, the government says you have twenty five point six years left. So you take the value of your IRA. Let's say it's one million dollars and you divide that by twenty five point six years. And when you do that math, your required minimum distribution would be thirty nine thousand and sixty two dollars or 3.9% of your account. Simple enough, right? Makes sense. Well, now think about this. The government's goal in doing this is to get you to pay all your taxes on that account before you die. And so what happens is at 72, the government says, hey, you're going to die one of these days, and we don't want you to die without paying all your taxes. Isn't that kind of your government? Their greatest concern is, have you paid your taxes? And so they say, we want you to pay your taxes. So they start forcing you to take that money out. But if they're only forcing you to withdraw 3.9% in that first year, which is the illustration we just used, and your account is earning 5%, well, what's happening to your account value? Right. It's growing the That's whole time. It's growing faster than you're pulling out. So you can make required minimum distributions all of your life and still die with a larger account that you had when you were 72. Now, here's another interesting fact, Eric. At 72, you have a life expectancy of 25.6 years. So a year later at age 73, what do you think your life expectancy would be? You would think it'd be 25.6 years more. So 98. Well, let me help you with that math. If at age 72, if your life expectancy was 25.6 years, at age 73, it would seem that your life expectancy would be 24.6 years because you right, burned right. a year, 24. right? 24.6 years left, right. Yeah, well, so because this is a government thing, the government table says, no, 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 it's not that simple. The way the government figures it, uh, living another year only shaves nine-tenths of a year off your life expectancy. So instead of your life expectancy dropping to 24.6 from the previous year, 25.6, it actually drops to 24.7. So every year you get a 10th of year added on to your life expectancy. So it accelerates. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's just the goofiest thing. And there's some math behind it. And if you're a math brain, you probably appreciate how all this works and it makes perfect sense to you. But I don't live with people who have math brains. I don't work necessarily with people who have math brains. I just work with people who say, I just want to figure it out, get the government out of my life, make it as simple as possible. How do I do this? And when I show them how this works, they all start pulling their hair out if they happen not to already be bald. And so it's a very frustrating thing for people to have to deal with. And so every year you have to know the factor for your age in order to make this distribution correctly. Now, our clients don't have to know this. We keep track of it for them. And every year we reach out to them and we tell them it's time to make their required minimum distribution. And since we're managing, managing their account, we know already what the value was on December 31st of the previous year. We already know how much their required distribution is. And literally all they have to do is sign a piece of paper and presto bingo, it's done. But if you're managing your IRAs by yourself, it's very important that you keep track of these details because these are things that you have to know in order to do it correctly. 
And if you are frustrated or having trouble with that and you want help with those details, well, just reach out to us. Go to our website, savingyoutaxes.com, and and you can call us or you can fill out a, a communication form on there and it'll send an email to us and we'll reach back out to you. And we'll be happy to help you keep track of this detail. And here's why it's so important, Eric, that you keep track of this detail. The penalty for failing to make a required minimum distribution is 50% of the distribution amount. So let's say you were supposed to distribute $1 and you failed to do so. Your penalty would be 50 cents. And Ouch. then, yeah, Ouch. yeah, that's enough. That's a penalty. Yeah, that is a hard spanking. There's a little good news, by the way. The first time you can apply and you generally the IRS will give you a pass for missing it the first time. But if you miss it twice, no pass. So your penalty is 50%, 50 cents on that dollar. And then you have to pay the taxes on that dollar. Well, that tax could be as much as 37 cents. So 50 plus 37, let me do a little quick Ozark Hillbilly math here. That's 87 cents. Oh, and we live in Missouri uh, where the state tax is six cents. So whatever year, (laughs) oh, that's right. To go political again, you were a part of the movement in the state legislature that got that reduced back to what is it, 5.8 now, I think. Yeah, and it's, and it's, we'll be ratcheting down to, almost, if not below five in the coming years. A tip of the hat to our politician. Thank you yes. very much for that. We appreciate it. We'll be already It works like heck to get that. To <laughs> you, get you did all that work for one le- measly took, percent over 10 years. It, oh, it took me 10 years to get that, to get you know, to fight through the legislature <laughs> to get that done. So yeah. That's, that's why I don't want to be where you guys are. So where was my math? We got a 50% well, penalty. You're right. You're almost at 93% by now. We got a, a 37% potential, ta- potential tax plus your state tax puts us at 93%. So out of the dollar you were supposed to get, you wind up getting seven cents. The government winds up getting 93 cents. So the point is, pay attention to this because it's really, really, really important. Now, the second thing that comes into play here when we're thinking about doing required minimum distributions is, okay, once we've done the distribution, what is the tax rate? Well, the rate at which you pay taxes on distributions from IRAs and 401ks and so forth, is at what is called the ordinary income tax rate. Uh, This is the same rate as you pay tax on your W-2 if you're working, the income that you receive from working. Uh, And that rate is as low as, for most of our clients, uh, some of them get in at 22 or 24%, but then a lot of them are hit with 32%, 35%, 37%. Those are the federal rates, plus, again, whatever the state income tax rate is where you live. And the reason that that is significant is because there's another tax rate that people can opt for and that applies to investors that they often pay. It's called the capital gains tax rate. And Eric, do you know what the capital gains tax rate is? Oh, about 15%. Well, generally it can be 15%, but it can be as low as 0% if your income is below $80,000. That's right. Yes. And if you make more than $500,000, your capital gain rate is 20%. 20%. But for most people, your capital gains tax rate is going to be 15%. So think about this for a moment. Um, You're an investor. I mean, your 401k or your IRA, that is an investment, isn't it? Yes, but it, to the government, it's money that you haven't paid income taxes on yet. Yeah, so the government doesn't allow you to treat it like an investment for tax purposes. They allow require that you treat it like income for tax purposes. Right. And as a result, they're going to charge you this higher rate, 22, 24, 32, 35, or 37%. 
And so you don't get the favorable tax rate. And regardless of what the government says about it, the government is going to charge you this tax as if it were ordinary income, just like the paycheck you receive. And so withdrawals from your IRA are going to be taxed at the highest rate possible. And And I think it's important for people to remember when you look at your 401k and you're plugging away at work and, and you look at it and you think, oh, I've built up, you know, a million dollars or half a million dollars. Just remember that the government owns a quarter, if not more, a percent of that of that portfolio. Yeah, if you've got a million dollar IRA account, you really have a seven hundred thousand dollar IRA. And, and you're stressing and 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 investing and and working all of this to basically earn the government. It's a money. perfect gig. I think I want to be government. Right. I'd rather everybody <laughs> else is doing all the work, and I just get the benefit. That's right. They're, everyone else is risking their money, and I get the benefit. That's why people become kings and potentates and despots and all yeah. those sorts of things, I suppose. Hey, I want to tell you a little illustration about these required distributions and how they impact people. Uh, And this is not someone who's actually 72. This is someone who's in their 20s, a client of ours who I'll actually be seeing later later today. And uh, both, uh, she's in her 20s, both of her parents died and uh, they left about $800,000 in IRAs to the child. Now she's a school teacher and uh, because the parents died, she's going to be forced to make withdrawals from these inherited IRAs starting now instead of waiting until she's 72. And that's because they're inherited IRAs. And so the school teacher is single. She makes about $40,000 per year. And that would normally put her in the 12% federal tax bracket. But this year, and for every year for about 10 years going forward, she's going to be forced to withdraw $80,000 a year from the IRA that she inherited so her total income is going to shoot up from 40000 to 120000 and her federal tax bracket, the bracket is going to double from 12% to 24%. And last year, she paid about $3,300 in taxes on her teaching income. This year, she's going to pay about $38,000 in taxes. Now, do you remember she's only making about $40,000 from her work? So everything that she makes from working is going to go to taxes. That, that's tragic. Well, it, it really offends me as I read it. And now I typed to the story, you know, I remember, remembered it then, but as I read back over it, I'm like, that really is a bad story. And so the whole purpose of the required minimum distribution, remember, is the government just says, hey, you're going to die someday. And we want to be sure you pay the taxes before you kick the bucket. No. But in that case, the client is having to pay the taxes because her parents died. Now, if it was in a tax-free account, a Roth, and, and they died, it would be it would be the cost basis would be stepped up. That's exactly correct. There would be no tax due. And then, it's technically not a cost basis step up, but there's no tax due if it comes out of a Roth account. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about in just a moment. Yeah. You know, here's another thing that I just talked about at, at uh, breakfast this morning. We're, we're recording the podcast early in the morning. And uh, I had a breakfast meeting with a, a, a nonprofit executive this morning. And he had a question about his mother-in-law, who's 92, who had a few hundred thousand dollars in her IRA account. And he's like, you know, what should we be doing with this? How's it going to work? And so forth. And, and he is married to the only child. So it's really going to be his money when his mother-in-law dies. It's going to flow to his wife and it's going to be their family money. And he is in a higher tax bracket, somewhere up in the mid 30% tax bracket. His mother-in-law's only income is social security. So she's probably in the lowest possible tax bracket. So if he would take that money out now, if he would have his mother-in-law take that money out now, make the withdrawal, fill up her tax bracket, she could withdraw that at the 10% rate or the 12% rate. 
But if he waits until his mother-in-law dies, his wife inherits the account, and then the government forces her to start making withdrawals, they're going to have to pay tax on that same money at a mid-30s tax rate. Right. So you can see where it would be to his benefit to have mama take that money out now, pay the taxes on it now, convert it over to Roth or to uh, even just to a regular taxable account, but Roth would be better. And they would not have to pay nearly as much tax as they're going to have to pay. So for those of you who are listening who have elderly parents, that's something that you might want to consider. Now, mom and dad are like, well, I don't want to pay those taxes. I'm not going to take out a dime more than I have to. Well, let's think about the bigger picture here, mom and dad. It's not you who's really going to have to pay those taxes. It's the next generation who are going to have to pay the tax, and they're going to pay the tax at a higher rate. So let's make that distribution now while you are in the lower tax bracket. Makes a lot of sense. So, Eric, here are some things you can do to minimize the income taxes that you must pay on your required minimum distribution. Are you ready? Absolutely. First of all, you can make what are called charitable distributions, qualified charitable distributions. And I've got clients that do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a wise thing to do. So if you're planning to give money to charity anyway, you can give it from an IRA if you are over age 72 and that gift from your IRA to your charity will satisfy your required minimum distribution for that year, but it'll do it with zero tax bite because you'll be giving money that hasn't had the taxes paid on it, and you won't have to pay the taxes when you give that money away. Now, there are a couple of rules with this that are really important. First of all, you got to be over 72, because that's when you're required to make a distribution in the first place. And secondly, the maximum amount that you can give is $100,000. And of course, since no taxes are due on this, well, you won't get a tax deduction for the contribution, but that doesn't matter so much for many people anymore because there are a lot of people today who are taking the standard deduction anyway. They aren't even itemizing. So for some of them, that's no loss at all. Now, if you're one of those people who's been giving appreciated stock or investment assets to your charity, stop it. Stop doing that. If you're over 72, at least, and consider giving from your IRA instead. And here's why. If you give from a non-IRA account, you're avoiding the capital gains tax by giving appreciated assets. That's right. So you avoid a tax of either 0% or 15%, at worst 20%. But for most people, it's 15%. If you give from your IRA, you're avoiding a tax that can be as high as 37% federally plus the state. So you get a better tax avoidance if you give money from the IRA than if you give money from your regular account. Does that make sense? That's great advice. So for givers, the qualified charitable distribution is the way to make your contributions, the most tax efficient way to make your contribution. Now, there's a second thing that you can do to avoid distributions and therefore uh, defer or delay tax. If you'll continue working past age 72, so long as you don't own more than 5% of the company, then your 401k does not require you to make any distributions out of it as long as it has the still working exception. So you don't have to take any money out of your 401k. You don't have yeah. to pay any tax. Boy, but I mean, you're, you're A, you're delaying what is basically a ticking tax time bomb. And B, 
how many people want to work past 72? Well, thank you for pointing that out, that it's a ticking tax time bomb. Indeed, that is what it is. But the purpose of this podcast is to tell you how to avoid that RMD this yes, year. Yes. And that's one of the problems with the work we do is, is you know, it's kind of like pulling two one string, but you got two separate ends of it. And when you pull on this end of the string, the other end goes up and you pull on the other end of the string and the other end goes up. And, and so, yeah. so it's pay me now, pay me later. What we like to do is we like to pay the tax now and get it totally out of our life. But that isn't always possible, though we're going to talk about some ways to do that here in just a moment. You asked the question, Eric, who would want to work past 72? Yeah, I mean, some people like to do that, um, but... The answer to that question is found at Cracker Barrel. Did you know that? I was at Cracker Barrel for dinner last night. I went with my 86-year-old mother-in-law because she likes to go to Cracker Barrel. So that's where we're going to go. I like Cracker Barrel. Yeah, it's good. I'm, Cracker Barrel is one of my more favorite places, in fact, um, which tells you a little about my level of uh, sophistication, at least the sophistication of my palate when I say I like to eat at Cracker Barrel. I like Waffle House, too. <laughs> my sophistication. Oh, truly a man of the people if he eats at Waffle House. So anyway, we took my mother-in-law to Cracker Barrel last night, but you know, we had to wait. We couldn't take her for the early senior hour. You know why? Because she had to get off work. My mother-in-law at 86 is still working. She's a medical transcriptionist and her husband died 11 years ago and working gives her a tremendous sense of purpose. It gives her a community to belong to somewhere to be something to do. I I don't think she, I mean, she can quit working. We've told her, mommy, you don't have to work anymore, but there's no way she's going to quit that because it's, it's what she lives to do. There's really nothing much else going on. And have you been to Walmart? If you don't want to look at my mother-in-law, just go to Walmart. You remember all those people at the front of the store who hand you your shopping cart and they put stickers on your babies. My girls, they're now in their mid-20s, but it was the biggest deal to get to go to Walmart because the little old man would ooh and coo at them and put a sticker on them. I have not. I, they, that, they didn't do that at the Walmart that well, I go it to. It kind of changed, I think, after my girls came along. I don't know. Maybe we used all the stickers because we went so much. But, you know, they do check you at the front door when you're carrying something into Walmart and yes. want to be sure that yeah. if you need a return on it or whatever, there's, a, there's an old person there who does that. These yeah. are all people, all people who used to have jobs that they worked eight to five. You know, my own assistant, Nola Peterson. Oh, oh, I love her and I miss her so much. Nola retired just a few months ago after 23 years with our company. And the first time I saw her after retiring, she said, uh, hey, you know, uh, I maybe could work part time if you'd like to. (laughs) And so after three months of being retired, she's actually contemplating continuing to work a little bit, and she's far short of 72. So the point is, many people continue working after retirement, and therefore the still working exception applies to them, and they don't have to distribute money from their 401k if they are still working and if the 401k has the still working uh, exception built into the language of the 401k account. Now, Eric, uh, something really important to know, this doesn't apply to IRAs. You must make the required distribution from your IRA. It only applies to your 401k. So here's a suggestion. Talk with your human resources department where you work and find out if your company 401k has a still working exception. And uh, hold on until they give you a clear answer. Don't let them mumble. Maybe the answer even ought to be in writing. And if they don't have a still working exception, ask your HR person or someone hiring the company to install this provision on their plan. 
Yeah, that, well, navigating HR might be difficult. I wonder if, how difficult it is to make that change. Well, the change isn't difficult. It's like you add one sentence to the 401k plan. But it might be navigating HR. Well, it's not really difficult to add this uh, still working exception to your 401k plan. It's just adding a sentence, basically. But it's really difficult to get management to do it because they're busy. They're running the company. They're years away from retiring. So they aren't thinking about these things. They're a little bit intimidated because those conversations where we're going to have the meeting to look at the 400 pages of the 401k document, or they're not fun. And and some person they don't know is speaking a foreign language to them about all the parameters of the document. It doesn't add to the bottom line, really. And so they don't want to have those conversations. But here's the thing I would suggest that you do. Share this podcast episode with your HR person or with the executives in your company and tell them about the still working exception. Ask them to listen to this podcast episode because it might open their eyes to something that they need to do, which could be good for you and for your fellow employees. So those are the first two things you can do to help reduce or eliminate. Well, those are just reducers. Now we're going to move to the elimination part about uh, how we can reduce taxes on our required minimum distribution. So let's talk about the third thing that's possible. You could use, Eric, something called a QLAC. How's your QLAC going today? (laughs) That sounds like something you need to get checked. Yeah, well, it might be. A QLAC is a qualified longevity annuity contract. It's simply a type of single life income annuity. It's a tool that we use to be sure that people are not at risk of running out of their income. And the good news is if you have a QLAC, you're not required to make a required minimum distribution on that QLAC until you're 85 years old. So that's an additional 13 years in which you get to avoid taxes on the required minimum distribution for the portion that you've placed over in the QLAC. Now, is it under an IRA? How does that that completely out? It's under the same tax umbrella. That's right. It can be in an IRA account. You can own a QLAC annuity inside an IRA account. Now, there's a limit, Eric, on how much you can put into a QLAC. No more than 25% of your total IRA values in aggregate. Uh, So that's if you add all the IRAs up, you can put 25% of that in QLAC, or you can put a maximum of $135,000 in the QLAC, and you won't have to pay any required distribution on that until you reach age 85. So this is not going to change the world, but if you want to reduce the taxes that you have to pay by reducing your required minimum distribution, putting $135,000 into a QLAC is the one way to do that. Now, Eric, let's talk about one of your favorite strategies. Strategy number four for avoiding taxes on the required minimum distribution is... The Roth conversion. The Roth conversion. So educate me on that a little bit. At age 72, what is the required minimum distribution on a Roth IRA? Zero. Zero? Ooh, that's right. There isn't any required distribution on a Roth IRA. You're never forced to take the money out. And that is why we love Roth IRAs. Now, the maximum, unfortunately, that you can contribute to a Roth IRA is $6,000 or $7,000 if you're over age 50. But you can convert an unlimited amount in any year. So if you had a billion dollars in an IRA, you could take that billion dollars out of your IRA, move it over into your Roth IRA, 
you'd have to pay the taxes when you move it. Right. That moment. But once you got what was left over in the Roth IRA, then you would never have to pay taxes on any of that money again. I wonder if anybody's ever converted a billion. <laughs> well, I, that's a great question. Another interesting question would be. Well, that would make the state coffers really happy. <laughs> well, we like hearing the government man uh, immediately year, notice. It would totally mess up a state's budget yeah, just from year to year. Somebody made that kind of a distribution. So, Eric, tell me, uh, there's a reason that we think this is a good idea to use a Roth conversion. But what's the what's the big passionate reason behind so this? So, the reason is to to get it done and over with, particularly when taxes are low today. You're basically we're in an environment where it's taxes it's, are low today. Did they you really say that? are taxes that income tax rates are at the lowest that they've been. And especially because we know that they're going up, we we know for a fact that they're going up when the Trump tax cuts expire. And given the environment in D.C. and given how much debt we have hanging over us and how much we're adding, there's there's really no other conclusion other than to to make that that taxes are likely going to go up. They certainly are not going to get any lower than they are today. So why not take advantage of the sale? In other words, right now, things are on clearance go buy your taxes while they're on clearance. Because when tax rates return to normal, and when we see the adjustment that is required, the government's own controller general uh, says that tax rates have to double in order just to meet the obligations of the government. And, oh, that was before we started handing out all this free money related to the recent COVID issues and so forth, however many trillion we've given up now. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office says in the future we'll have three tax rates and the top rate will be 86% would be the top. The top tax rate, by the way, right now is 37%. So the government says in the future it'll be 86%. And all you folks who are in the middle ground saying, well, I'm not in the top rate, it'll be okay with me. The Congressional Budget Office says it's going to over 60% for those of you who are in the middle. So Eric's absolutely right when he says it's a good idea to do IRA conversions right now to uh, move that money from the traditional IRA over to the Roth, pay the taxes today at the low rate so you won't have as much tax to pay out there in the future. And if you got all of that converted, by the way, and that is quite possible to do, well, then you wouldn't have any IRA money that had a required minimum distribution on it. So mm -hmm. you would have no taxes due on that. And if your only sources of income in retirement are your IRA money, and your Social Security. Your Roth IRA money. Yes, I, I'm sorry, that's correct. Your Roth IRA money and your Social Security, then probably when you actually retire, you'll fall below the threshold of having to pay any tax whatsoever on your even your Social Security. So at that point, you're in the 0% tax bracket. Right. And we really like that. You're getting a check from the government. That'd be nice. I haven't gotten any of those recent ones they've been handing out. <laughs> And you know, Eric, here's the deal. Let's say you're not successful at getting to the 0% tax bracket. Nobody ever talks about that. Nobody seems to know that that's possible. It really is possible. We have clients who've done it. But let's say that instead of getting into the 0% bracket, we get you down to the 10% bracket or the 12% bracket. Still pretty good. Isn't that a lot better than where you're at now? Right. Yeah, I think it is. So, Eric, those are four ways that you can reduce or eliminate taxes on required minimum distributions. Now, I recognize that this has not been the most exciting topic, but I hope that our listeners have paid attention because when you start writing checks with commas in them to Uncle Sam, punishing you for all those years when you saved and stashed cash for the future, 
that can become very painful. And I hope that today we've helped our listeners see that there are ways you can control, reduce, and eliminate the taxes you pay on your IRA account at required minimum distribution time. If you've enjoyed the podcast today and found it helpful, please go to the bottom of this episode in your podcast app and click share and either text or email a link to this podcast to a friend who might find it helpful. And be sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you'll always get the freshest episode of each podcast as it is released. For savingyoutaxes.com, I'm Barry Watts. And I'm Eric Burleson. Reminding you that if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. We'll see you on the next episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.